Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. We're going to hit our sponsors here in just a second, then jump into the episode. But before we do, make sure you stick around throughout the end of the interview and check out the show notes for great opportunities for associateships, partnerships, and more. If you're a practice owner, you want to find great people, and you want to list a job opportunity or just looking for certain things that your peers out there that are veterinarians could benefit from, feel free to shoot me an email. Isaiah at veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. I will do my best to get those up at the end of different episodes. There's no charge for that. My role, my job is to connect good people with good people. So with that, we will hit our sponsors and be right into the interview. Have you ever walked into a space and thought, wow, this is beautiful. There's a reason for that. Architecture has this innate ability to impact emotions and perceptions. My friends at Apex Design Build bring beautiful and functional spaces for veterinarians nationwide. Apex is a fourth generation family run company that is fully integrated from the design, architecture, and construction process to help you mitigate risks, eliminate surprises, save money, save time, and reduce the effort on your project. Check out their amazing work and have access to their square footage calculator to help you plan your expansion or new build. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer and learn more about Apex Design Build. Tired of waiting for ownership decisions to happen? Frustrated with promises broken? Enter Innovative Management Veterinary Solutions, or IVMS. IVMS's goal is to grow privately held, profitable, unique hospitals across Canada, allowing you, the veterinarian, to focus on medicine and not the practice nuances. They handle accounting, bookkeeping, marketing, advertising, human resources, and so much more. The plan is easy as one, two, three. First, you come work joining the leadership team for a year to learn the systems and processes, ensuring the fit is right for everyone. Second, you enter into a 50-50 partnership to launch your hospital. Again, you help drive where you go. Three, work together, launch, and scale your hospital. Questions? Head to the link in the show notes for more information, how to connect, and see if this is the right opportunity you've been waiting for. Check out Innovative Management Veterinary Solutions. Find out for yourself why my friends at Shepherd Veterinary Software are the fastest growing practice management software. Hint, they're doing something right. Founded by Dr. Cindy Barnes, Shepherd is an intuitive, easy to learn, streamlines practice management. Built for vets, by vets, it works for you and your team so you have more time to spend on what's most important, your patients. Shepherd automatically updates the medical records, adds services to the invoice, generates discharge instructions, and so much more. Bring home more stories and less stress. Check them out at shepherd.vet. Again, that's shepherd.vet. Hey, drama. Yes, we do too. That's why it doesn't exist here. It's the only core value that is non-negotiable. Culture is key at Point Grey and Fraser View Veterinary Hospital located in Vancouver, British Columbia, an outdoors person's paradise. Privately owned, fear-free certified practice, the only fear-free practice in Vancouver. No catches, no hidden terms, no negative accrual, no non-compete, and fully transparent. So what do we expect? Sense of humor? We love to laugh, tell jokes, and banter. Be adaptable? Strong team-oriented personality drive and willingness to excel. What should you expect? you love snacks? Who doesn't? We have a staff room filled with a variety of snacks. We've got you covered. How about coffee or tea? We have you covered. Enjoy a two-month schedule made in advance so you can actually plan your life. No nights or Sundays guaranteed. Salary up to $170,000, including 20 to 25% commission. Visa sponsorship considered, as well as opportunities for ownership. So apply today for Point Grey and Fraser View Veterinary Hospital. Link in the show notes. Why do most banks always seem to be impersonal? slow to answer questions, or give you the runaround on getting money needed for your dreams. Enter Panacea Financial. Panacea Financial, a nationwide digital bank built for doctors by doctors. Whether you're a veterinarian in training, practice owner, or aspire to be one, someday... 
Panacea Financial is designed specifically for you. It was started by two doctors who were frustrated in working with banks and so started their own to serve their community. With common sense lending guidelines and fast decisioning, they've helped doctors all across the country start, grow, and acquire their dream practice. Looking to buy into a practice? Panacea helps doctors with practice buy-in loans that are funded in a matter of days, not weeks, or months. If you're ready to join the thousands of doctors nationwide who have declared independence from traditional banks, visit panaceafinancial.com today to see how they can get you started with your dreams. Panacea Financial is a division of Premise, member FDIC. All right. Today I'm joined by Dr. Keith True, who is a veterinarian and entrepreneur. He is a managing member at Animal Care Center of Downers Grove, member of the board of Access Vet and founder of True Vet Potential, which we'll spend a lot of our time chatting on and through today. Dr. True, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Isaiah. I really appreciate the invite and looking forward to chatting and seeing how we can uh, continue to improve upon this profession. Absolutely. We were fortunate enough to get introduced at VMX through Paul Diaz. I think we were at one of the hotel like bar lobby areas and just connecting, which was great. But with that, that kind of sparked like, hey, we should get on a podcast. We should chat about this because you shared some of the, the stuff that you're working on. A, I think there's a really big missed opportunity. So I don't know if you ever decided when you were young that you wanted to become a veterinarian, but I feel like with the last name True, you could have been a judge. Like there was a lot of opportunities here, like for a profession, like to fit perfectly in that. I think about the last name Douglas and I'm like, yeah, it doesn't really, you can kind of go anywhere you want. But was there ever any doubt for you that you want to be a veterinarian or what did that look like? You know, it's a good question. I think that as a kid, I always wanted to be a veterinarian. So I'll say that's where I'm not going to sit here and say I've always wanted to be one because I think there's a difference between making the decision as a child and making the decision as an adult as to wanting to do that. As a kid, I always wanted to. I grew up working in my uncle's practice and kind of learning what the profession was. I took a little turn, not so much drastically different, but I did think about going into human medicine for quite a while during high school and college just due to some previous health issues of my own. But I really revisited going back to my roots of wanting to become a veterinarian while I was in college. Uh, Explored that further. And that's where I decided that veterinary medicine was where I wanted to go. Not only because I love the profession, I love animals, all of that too, but having this entrepreneurial mindset and something that I really wanted to be able to pursue. And I felt I had a better opportunity to do that in the veterinary field than I did in the human medical field. So it was really a combination of multiple routes that I wanted to take that allowed me to decide to go into the veterinary field. Yeah. And I think the entrepreneurial nature of veterinary medicine is talked about, but I still think it's understated just because there is a heck of a lot more flexibility to do different things because we haven't up till more recently saw more of a corporate presence in vet med. And we'll chat a little bit on that or, or touch on it here and there. But yeah, I love that. Appreciate you sharing. And one of the big things that we wanted to chat on was true vet potential. And so two questions, which are simple to ask. And then there's obviously a lengthier answer is what is it and why should people care? So True vet potential is really in its in its infancy. So I just launched it very recently, but it combines a lot of what I've been doing in my career up to this point and really trying to get young veterinarians or veterinary students to just realize what's out there and what potential is available to us. So, you know, I've 
been partnered in at three different hospitals over the course of my nine years in practice so far and was able to partner in at a very early point in my career. You know, even two years out, I was able to buy a small percentage of one of the practices I was involved in. And it's, it's obviously just grown from there. But what my goal with this is to show us veterinarians and younger veterinarians that there's a way that we can generate excellent income, generate a very fulfilling career path. And I think one thing that really inspired this is in school, I always felt like there was a misconception or it was told to us many times that we didn't get into this profession because of the money, but we got it into it because we love animals, which yes, that's true. But I'm a very firm believer that these are not mutually exclusive things. I think we're doing ourselves an injustice to say, hey, we only do this because we love animals, when in reality, we have hundreds of thousands of dollars in student debt to have to pay off. We have families to provide for. We have futures to save for. You know, we have to look at this as, yes, it is a career that is done by very passionate people who love what they do and love animals. But we do have to look at it on a business standpoint, too, just for the sake of numbers. And I don't think that we need to be feeling bad about making a good living doing what we do. Plenty of other professions do the same thing. They can love what they do, but make an excellent living, too. So really, that's my long-winded answer for why am I doing this? But it's also really to give these veterinarians, not only make them aware that this path is out there for us, but also providing the tools in business leadership, management, leadership growth, and all of those types of tools that we don't necessarily learn in veterinary school, giving a platform for those lessons and skills to be taught to make us successful in the field of business. Totally. And you're spot on. It doesn't necessarily demonize someone because they make good money. And I think there is that stigma at times. Like if you make good money, you're obviously screwing someone else over, right? Very technical term, <laughs> right? Like you're doing something bad by charging what you're worth. And it's like, absolutely not. And I think ultimately what everyone wants to do is like, it be fair or it be something that I can feel comfortable with. But feeling comfortable with charging an amount of money for the services that you provide, you have to look at A, what is the demand for your services? And what are the needs to run a business that is sustainable over time? And sustainability meaning you're not working yourself to death just to make ends meet. And that goes for not only the doctors, but the frontline staff. And so there's lots of opportunities for more conversation around ensuring that, hey, as there are more corporate pressures, perhaps, or others, like, look at this as a business, but then also bring in the, you know, like you talked about, the compassionate side of the clinician and put that together. And that makes it a wonderful profession. A, part of the reason why I love working with InvetMed is like, people are great, right? And you see that. And so you want people to be able to be attracted to the profession and not pushed away. So I think that was early on when I had made vet med really a focus for me was hearing people say, well, I would never encourage my niece or nephew or someone younger than me to come in the profession. I'm like, dang, that's, that's rough. Like that's hard to hear. And I know that anyone listening is not gonna be surprised that I obviously share the same passion you do from an ownership perspective. But one thing that you mentioned is, Hey, this idea of ownership and this idea of kind of raising the ability to earn a good living, this can be done on the corporate side. This can be done on the private side. And I would, 
like for you to kind of unpack or explain kind of what you mean by that? Yeah. So I think there are many different models that are set up that can favor either an ownership or a partnership model. And that can be in the private sector or in the corporate sector as well. I'll start with the private. You know, I think that's the easiest one to discuss, but I think a lot of us veterinarians get very anxious about going to a bank and asking for money. So taking on more debt to start a practice can be very intimidating and seen as a risk. That's a risk that I'm taking because that's debt that is going to help increase your earning potential by opening your own practice. And it's going to help fund the ability to pay off those student loans and that other debt that you might have. You know, so I've always kind of gone along the the lines of you got to spend a little money to make some money. And I do firmly believe that. Now, I think kind of how I got my start, I didn't go out and just start a practice. I would set myself up with a great mentor who wanted to not only teach me how to become a excellent veterinarian, but also how to be a savvy business person. And that's how I was able to buy into a partnership early on. I was able to, you know, I obviously had to take on debt to do that. And being able to grow these practices with my own hard work, it's profited. And it's been able to pay off my student loans very quickly. Go Coming out of school, it's like you set up these plans to pay off your loans in 20 years. You know, maybe being able to pay them off in four or five years is almost unheard of. And when I talk to students about that, it's, they kind of, their eyes bulge out of their heads a little bit because they never thought it was possible. But I think that's one way of getting into ownership and starting to increase your earning potential. But even going into the corporate side, which I do have a foot in that too, there are many corporations that if you approach them and talk about joint venture partnerships and things like that, to be able to gain some equity in the hospital that you're so involved in, that's an easier way sometimes too, because a lot of times these corporations are able to finance you as well. So going out to banks and asking for money is very intimidating. And I've had to do that even with very little collateral to my name. And I know that can be stressful and also a turnoff. But you know, I think depending on who you talk to, we can say the corporate world of veterinary medicine is hard to deal with, especially if you want to become an owner. But There are corporations out there, there are groups out there that are going to help you explore that ownership or partnership realm of the business. And I think it's a great way to be able to get into it and probably a little bit less stressful than going into the private sector as well. But I think both are fantastic opportunities. Yeah. And when you went to the various different banks, I'd be curious, did you run into any hurdles where they were like, no, we don't want to loan you any money? Or were there people that were much more willing to say, you know what, we can, we can make something happen? What was your experience? Yeah, I, was just, yeah, I was just talking about this with somebody. It's when you do go in as a junior partner, it is a lot harder to secure funds. So I did meet with several banks during my first attempts to get partnership. And uh, I almost feel like it was a, a learning opportunity that my boss had put me out to just to get used to going out and asking for money on a business standpoint. Because, you know, coming in as a recent graduate with $150,000 in debt and just bought my first house or townhouse and everything, didn't really have much to my name at that point. So I did go and talk to probably five different banks and I realized, hey, this isn't going to work. So luckily I had conversations with 
my old boss too. And I was able to basically get the loan through the practice. And that's how I got my start. And that was very helpful for me. It was beneficial for my boss as well, because you get to bring on a partner. Also, you know, I did pay interest on that as well, but it was a way for me to get into the field or get into the realm of ownership. And I think going back to what TrueVet Potential is, it's that's what our goal is, is to provide a easier way to get into a practice ownership role or partnership role and you know, kind of guide you through these different hurdles that you might encounter when deciding to make the plunge into this part of the profession. Yeah. I mean, the idea of going to kind of traditional financing versus seller financing, it's like, hey, at the end of the day, you need funds. So go explore your options. And the answer is always going to be no if you don't ask. So go out and explore it. I think there's a lot of, I don't know how many years ago this was, but there's a lot of banks now that are starting to say, hey, we get that the multiples on prices are higher, the ability to buy in, even if you are a junior partner, there's some different structures and terms and things where, yeah, you should go have those conversations. And I think there's probably a bigger appetite now than maybe there was in the past. But even then, maybe the deal is actually better to do seller financing. And maybe that helps the current owner a little bit because they can kind of stagger things or it's an installment or there's all kinds of flexibility there, especially in a private practice, because you can customize a little bit more. You go into corporate, it's going to be a little bit more, it's this or that, but there are lots of options. I want to go back on TrueVet Potential. There's basically three stages or these three E's. I won't uh, steal your thunder on that. I think that was something when we chatted before really interesting. I'd love to kind of chat on each of those. Yeah, absolutely. So the basis of TrueVet Potential is looking at basically three different stages of the, our career, right? So as a student, we really want to focus on empowerment. As a new grad, new associate, really looking to you know, not only develop the skills of being a veterinarian, but also learning the skills of leadership and management skills. That's really going to focus on evolving. That's our second E. And lastly, when we've taken that final step or that, I don't want to say final step, but that next step to practice partnership and practice ownership, it's really the next step is going to be emerging. How do you continue to grow as a leader? How do you continue to grow as a veterinarian? How do you continue to grow as a business person, a human being in general? You know, that's going to really focus on that next E. Going, I'll delve just a little bit deeper into each of these. You know, so as a student, really focusing on that empowerment, a lot of it goes to what I mentioned. You know, what do we fail to learn in school? And I don't want to say fail, but I mean there there really is only so much time that we do get in didactic learning that is available. And obviously, we have to learn about you know, all the species, diseases, all of these types of things. But I do think that what we can do from TrueVet potential is be able to teach those business mindset, be able to teach how to be a leader. Because, you know, one, we always hear like a naturally born leader. Yeah, sure. There probably are naturally born leaders, but in reality, leadership skills are learned. We can teach people how to become leaders. That that only is going to benefit you as a veterinarian and as a human being in general, but really is going to help you be able to communicate with your staff effectively, be able to help those people grow even from day one. And also on that evolving is just talking about what we're talking about right now. Hey, students, you can make really good money doing this and don't feel bad about it. And don't necessarily buy into everything that you've heard and that you're going to be in debt forever. 
know, so that's really where I focus on that. When we go into the next realm, that evolving, it's kind of taking what we learned in that empowerment stage and putting into practice. I don't tell a new associate veterinarian on their first day, like come in and try to be the boss and use those leadership skills right off the bat. You don't have to be an owner of a practice to be a leader, right? From day one, just treating your staff with respect, showing them, did you want to learn how to do this? Did you want to know a little bit more about this? But communicating with them and providing them ways that you can impart knowledge on them and help them out, that's going to do wonders when you go to take that next step. Having that trust and everything from that team behind you, even from day one, is going to make your job and your life extreme, so much easier than what it would be if you come in with a big ego and kind of a quote-unquote bossy type of attitude, as opposed to that leadership growth mindset. So it's really focusing on not only, not just developing those skills like we talked about as a student, but really putting them into practice. And I don't want to stray away from the fact that you still have to learn how to be a veterinarian here. You know, we're talking about leadership management, all of that, but in order to do that effectively, you need to learn how to be an excellent veterinarian. And evolving in those first couple of years post-graduation is going to allow you to do that. So while not only just talking about these leadership opportunities, providing the opportunities to learn how to develop a personal niche within your practice, to make yourself valuable, not only to financially, but also just from a, an animal care standpoint too, whether that's learning orthopedic surgery, becoming an expert in ultrasound, rehab, you know, whatever it is that excites you on the medicine side of things, that's something that we really preach exploring during these first couple of years because it's going to fulfill you on the medical side of things. It's going to benefit your practice and it's going to set you apart from other veterinarians in your area too. So I think that's a really, I don't want to forego and, and ignore the medical side of this because obviously that's the root of all what we're doing right now. And then lastly, going into, you know, that emerging phase is, Hey, now that you've got into a position of partnership or ownership, What's next? How do you stay fulfilled in what you're doing? How do you continue to grow that business? How do you learn how, I'm going to straight just cite you here, but one of my big things is delegation. I think learning how to delegate is one of the most important ways that you can become a more effective leader, but also be able to fulfill those people around you. Couple of people that you know, have meant a lot to me. Just in you know the first practice that I truly took over by myself was my practice manager is one of the best people I've ever worked with. He's extremely talented in what he does. And when we first started working together, you know, six years ago now, yeah, there was a lot of back and forth. But once we developed that relationship and I formed that trust in him, I let him handle a lot of that stuff. And it's not like I'm going back and checking everything because. We've developed that relationship where I know he's got the patient's best interest in mind. He's got the hospital's best interest in mind and the shareholders of our practice's best interest in mind. And, you know, it's not just him. I've brought people along with me from my tech manager now started with the same practice as I started out after graduation nine years ago. And we've developed that relationship. And, and again, that has allowed me to kind of get out from the weeds of the day-to-day -day grind and be able to focus on what is it going to make this practice grow? And so that's one of the things that I really focus on in this third stage of 
and what we discussed in TrueVet Potential. But really the foundation is, okay, you've made it. Now, how do you continue to do it? And what's going to keep you fulfilled in this profession long-term so that we can better the profession that, you know, and everybody knows the profession itself is hurting at this point in time. And the burnout, the people leaving the profession is, it's sad. We really, what I want to do is help be the solution and find the fix for this problem. And I think that that's really what TrueBet Potential is. It is hard to see all of these veterinarians who have spent literally their entire lives getting to this point and then having job dissatisfaction and burnout and all of that from this. And then they leave the profession entirely. You know, it's like nobody's come up with a solution. And while money doesn't fix everything, it, it does help. But I think just being able to build upon the leadership and the human component of this profession is really going to help these veterinarians become fulfilled or stay fulfilled within this profession, which I think is amazing. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. I have a couple of different follow-ups on that. First one, the niche in the practice. What was that for you? Did you find something that you were like, hey, I'm going to specialize in and make myself super valuable? Anything there? Yeah, absolutely. So when I'm talking the medical side of things, if I could do one thing forever, it would just be orthopedic surgery. My, my thing is whenever I start a new project around the house, I have to get a new power tool. So I like using my hands. I like building things, fixing things. And the ability to do that with bones and you know, ACLs and things like that is really combining two of the things that I really like doing. You know, So being able to build and fix and outside of the operating room and then being able to incorporate that in the medical setting is great. So it's something that a lot of people are afraid of. And I try and go, hey, they're just bones. We're good. But everybody gets scared of that a little bit. But I was able to start learning that very early on and went to several continuing education courses and stuff too. So that was my niche that kind of let me or set me apart from some of my peers, but something I still enjoy doing to this day. And realistically, I like teaching people how to do it more and realizing what they're able to do. And it's not as scary as it seems, but yeah, that's what I was able to hold on to. Cool. And one thing that I've heard time and time again from other guests is, especially as a young veterinarian, getting the confidence to maybe want to take that on. Did your mentor instill in you like, hey, it is just bone and like not try to make it a big deal and encourage you and also support you? Because I'm sure early on, it didn't always be like super smooth or just like, Oh, I, I walked in the door and I'm just like killing it, right? Or I'm crushing it. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. From that standpoint, like just doing a fantastic job. And I'm sure there were times you're like, I don't know, is this something that I should keep doing? Or were you just naturally like so gifted that it all just is easy <laughs> from the beginning? <laughs> uh, yeah. Naturally gifted, I, I think doesn't come in very many things. But so I'm not going to sit here and say that that's what it is. And it's, it definitely takes encouragement. 
starting school, I knew I had an interest for it and everything too. But I will say when you get into it and you're the responsible one now who is responsible for the patient care, it does seem a lot more intimidating in that sense. So being able to have somebody there to support you and help you, uh, you know, work through those that learning curve is definitely huge. And I think that's something that my mentor really helped me with. And I was able to call him and say, Hey, I got this fracture repair or whatever. Can you come and help me? And yeah, it's like next day or I was always able to get that help. And I think that's like, I like doing that now too, because I've been there, you know? So, so they were associates. Now I actually, they're partners at one of my practices. I'm, we're in the process of getting them comfortable with that as well. And it's really rewarding to see them be able to go, Hey, and you get a picture and say, hey, how does this look? Like, Oh, looks awesome. Great work. You know, so it's kind of paying it forward, I guess. Right. So somebody taught me now it's my turn to teach somebody else. And I hope they're able to pass that mentorship forward, which obviously we hear how important mentorship is, especially for new grads too. So I think that's the route, how I got into it. Yeah, it just goes back to the leadership thing of, of just being able to instill confidence and encourage. And maybe it's also like, hey, Keith, this might not be the thing for you. You should like go to this other thing that you're really good at, lean into that. And I mean, maybe someone else will be better at this other procedure or this other thing and trying to give you some wins, especially early on to build up that confidence so you don't get so shy where you feel like, oh, I got to refer that out or someone else has to do it. Because I, again, not clinically trained, never had a day in the life of a, a veterinarian where I'm the one doing the work, but I keep hearing that where so many people are just afraid to fail. And I think that is something that we'll come back to with burnout because I know you highlighted a piece there, but I wanted to get to the question where if I'm a listener, I might be asking, okay, true vet potential, who's the fit? And then how does it work? Right? So like nuts and bolts, is this one-on-one coaching? Is this cohorts? Is this like, how does it all come together? And I know it's still early, but I know you have some thoughts on that as well. I can tell you what it is now, but what will it become, I think, is up in the air right now. You know, I think what I'm messing with right now is taking this idea and all of these things that are buzzing around in my brain. And I'm really just trying to get it going now. But what is the eventual pivot of that, I think, is remains to be seen. So I think a lot of it's going to come. What is the future of this company is really dependent on what it needs to be. So the ideal people right now that I'm targeting are those three groups that I I discussed. I think really starting at the bottom end of that, the students and the young associates who have interest in taking that next step in the profession are really who I'm targeting. So I gave a speech to roundtable discussions through the VBMA, a student organization focused on veterinary business. And there's a lot of interest in regards to just the ideas that are out there. And being able to talk to those students now just gives, allows me to have a group of contacts that we can really follow through and track along this progressive course, as well as talking about the young associates. When I hire veterinarians, I always talk about their interest in partnership or ownership later on, because it's something that our practice and what my passion really is can be a mutually beneficial relationship. So whenever I hire somebody I or interview them, I always bring that up because it's a great way to be able to increase your earning potential quickly. So 
in addition to just talking about that, we're going to be doing some webinars and public speaking and all of that to really raise awareness. But in addition, this is still in development, but we'll be doing some online courses and certificate programs that we'll be able to you know, add to your resume and help you learn. And, and then additionally, I think is helping you find those ownership opportunities, helping you find those partnership opportunities is a way that we want to help out as well. You know, so it's an idea that's been in my head for a long time, but getting everything down and being like, Hey, this is what it is. This is what it's going to be. I think it's a little premature to answer that. I think right now it's all focused on getting the message out there getting veterinarians to realize what their potential is. And then from there, I think the business pivots to be able to help everybody that I've talked to and really pursue that next step, have the guidance to do that. I think that's the, probably the scariest thing is when you go into partnership and ownership is, am I going to be supported in this? And where I come in in there or where we come in there is being the support for that. That's, where I foresee this going. Yeah, I agree. It makes sense. Curious on the VBMA talks that you've given in the business ownership interest, is it fairly high, fairly low? Because I have seen my own version of asking the questions, ask every VBMA chapter I talk to, like show hands who's interested. And it's like interested, not that you're definitely going to do it, just interested. What have you seen? When I talk to VBMA students, you have students who are already at least knowledgeable about the business side of the profession. So I find that when I talk to students in BBMA, the percentage is, is much higher than what I would expect if I were to go just talk to an entire class in general. That when I was doing the BBMA talks, everybody that I talked to was interested in it. Is it something that they're definitely going to pursue? They said, maybe, maybe not, but I want to at least be knowledgeable on the topic. Now, if I go to a giant lecture hall versus full of veterinary students. And I asked the same question. I know probably the people who are going to raise their hand in there are all the people who are in VBMA, but I'm not just targeting VBMA people in this either too, you know? So I think some people are hesitant to think about ownership and partnership just because of the fear of added debt and responsibility and all of that too. But if we take what I'm talking about and everything and be able to relay that to Students who don't necessarily haven't really processed that, I think it can be very beneficial for them as well. Absolutely. And I hope a number of those people will listen and find this or other content that you put out there to, to say, oh, yeah, I want to do this. I'm just confused on how because going through ownership, you're going to maybe do it once, maybe twice versus having some people that are mentors or peers that have done it already can and say, hey, here's the pothole. Here's the thing to look out for. Here's red flags. Here's things to make sure you don't get in a bad situation. And it's the unknown that's so darn scary just with anything in life, right? When you don't know, you're like, well, how do I prep for this? And the first time that you go through it, it is a learning experience, but there are things that regardless of how many times I talk to you or anyone else, you're going to learn going through that. Oh yeah, I would have done it differently when I came to the end. You're not going to be perfect and that's okay. It's not trying to be perfect. It's trying to get a heck of a lot better so that you don't make the big uh-oh at the end that you're like, oh, shouldn't have done that. Yeah. And here's the thing is you will make mistakes. I mean, that's just a fact of life. You're going to make mistakes, but you learn from those mistakes. The first practice that I took over, I was two and a half years out of school and I was more stressed than anything, but 
I look back in that and I'm like, the amount of stuff that I learned going through that. And yes, I had mentors to reach in from other hospitals and stuff, but the amount I learned, I take that with me for every other project I pursue, you know? So the thing is, you know, it's don't be afraid to make mistakes because 100% guaranteed you will make them. I mean, that's just can go for anything new that you take on, but it's how do you grow from that? Really utilizing that growth mindset and those experiences that you got from those couple hiccups along the way. How does that make you a better person and a better manager, a better leader, all of that? And coming back for those that are listening that maybe are already owners that have younger associates that would want to maybe encourage them or trying to hire or recruit or retain talent. I want to just clarify. So every interview or when you're hiring someone, you're actively talking to them if they are interested in ownership and letting them know that that's on the table. Not that we're, you know, ironing all the details out, but that it's, it's an option. Correct. Yeah, I do. I bring it up every time because here's my thing. I'm a person who having an entrepreneurial mindset and everything, I get bored doing the same thing every day. I need something that's always going to be able to scratch that next itch and everything too. And if you don't take the time to train your successor, you will never have the opportunity to continue your own personal and professional growth. And that's something that I truly live by. And not only are you doing yourself a benefit by training somebody to do your job and provide you that extra freedom, but you're also helping that person grow professionally and personally as well too. So that's why I bring it up because if I am going to be the only owner, the only leader in this practice, that practice that I'm in is solely dependent on myself. And that doesn't allow me to make new steps and grow other parts of a business or open another facility or take time with my family, whatever that might be. It's having that conversation right at that first interview is something that can really identify if you and that person are on the same page. What's the feedback typically? And that even if you're not hired the person, are they surprised that you bring it up? I would say, yeah, a little bit, because I don't think a lot of people have ever thought about that. But, you know, even in talking about that empowerment stage to those students, I say, hey, don't be afraid to ask that question at your first interview. Will I have the opportunity to buy equity in this practice that I'm joining? I know you mentioned Paul. That's something I've talked with him about, too, and in his recruitment business and asking that question, too. But I will say the first two new grads I hired that are four and five years behind me in school graduating class, both of them, I asked that question to at their first interview and both of them said, yes. And guess what? Both of them are partners now at the practice that I was at by myself to start. And I think that says a lot. And I will also say that I handed over management responsibilities to those two partners because what I just said, right? It's it's all about being able to position yourself for that next move that allows you to fulfill what, what drives you. So they were very happy to be able to be asked to buy in. They were even happier to be asked to start to manage that hospital and because I, I have full trust in them to do that. So I was in their position. I, I want to pay it forward. And uh, I just want people to start thinking about that question differently. You know, like you said, who is interested in that? Sometimes you have to ask the question in order for them to be actually interested in it, I think. Yeah, they have to know it's on the table because maybe they are a little bit more reserved of a person that would have that interest and maybe would feel 
like it's hard for them to, to speak up, especially early on when you're still trying to, you know, build the relationship, build trust. But if they know it's on the table and they know that they can bring it up later on, um, I think that's important. There's more nuance there of like, you know, how is the employment contract and when does the conversation on equity come back up? And so it's not just like we talked about it and then we never bring it up again, but you're here and you're an associate now. Like you have to live that and then bring it back up with reviews and other things as well. But I love that you keep talking about paying it forward because that was a note and I actually had it down as a question of chatting through that. But do you think that's a potential antidote for burnout? You know, the ability of paying it forward, like this attitude of gratitude, because you touched on there's kind of like these four keys, at least kind of in your mind with burnout. And I think it'd be interesting to hear like your thoughts on the, the paying it forward and burnout. But then also, what do you think causes burnout in your opinion and what you've seen? So I think burnout is something that obviously it plagues the profession, but I think you're right on. I think burnout means a lot to a lot of different people. I think, you know, we hear the term compassion fatigue. We hear the term burnout. We hear of all these things. I've never really personally related to the term compassion fatigue because I'm not trying to downplay other people's feelings, but it's not the emotional investment that can tire me out. It's a lot of it being a lot of people are always reaching to you and, you know, you're, it's almost like decision fatigue, I would say. There's so many decisions you have to make every single day and uh, all of it depends on you. And, you know, sometimes it can feel lonely with that being online bullying or demanding clients, whatever that might be. I think a lot of those play into that. We are dealing with just us veterinarians, mostly type A personalities who I would say we probably overthink things that, that people tell us, you know, say to us too, especially if they are hurtful. But for me personally, burnout is monotony. I like being able to, like I said, scratch that entrepreneurial itch. Otherwise, I'm going to get stagnant. And to me, that's burnout. For other people, I, I think it's different. You know, it's being overworked or not having free time. I think it could be the financial burnout too. I mean, up until COVID struck, new grads were not making six figure salaries. I think COVID push that in the right direction, but is it for the right reason or not? But there is a lot of financial strain for people not making excellent salaries to be able to pay off that debt. That's also a stressor too. Money doesn't solve all your problems, but it definitely helps in certain aspects of our lives. So I think burnout to each individual person has roots in different aspects, but that's what it means to me. Perfect. Well, I also have a, a horrible habit on this show of asking basically like three questions in one. And I kind of did it there where I asked like multiple. So <laughs> thank you for uh, being able to navigate the wandering questions that are there. There was one other thing that we, I think kind of, I would say we had an alignment or bonded over a little bit at VMX, which was this idea of being defined by your job title. And I think that's one of those things where I think I've mentioned this a handful of times, but like here, financial advisor, financial planner, like that term in general is like, down there with used car salesmen and like these not great professions typically because there's some bad experiences that people have. And there's awesome, like I have peers all over the country doing awesome work, but you say to someone like, oh, this is what I do. And they instantly put you in bucket A. So when you get introduced and you're like, I'm a veterinarian and the people put you in bucket B, it's kind of like, well, I do other things other than that. I would just love to hear your thoughts on that. And then what have you done personally over time to maybe address the question that's there because culturally for some reason we seem to like to really do that when we don't know the other person very well i'm glad you asked this question and, and uh, but so i do have a joke with my wife when people ask me what i do for a living 
I told my wife, I'm just going to tell them I sell insurance because then they'll never ask a follow-up question. No doubt. They will <laughs> so, never. But no, I think people do have a genuine interest in, in the veterinary profession because it is kind of one of these professions that when you're a kid, everybody looks up to it and everybody wants to know what it's like. So I get the desire to ask those questions. But going back to your question on burnout too, it's like when you're everybody knows you're a veterinarian, you start getting the most random messages on social media or text messages asking about that. It's like, man, I just worked a 10 hour shift. And the last thing I want to do is answer text messages about somebody's dog or cat or somebody's friend's dog or cat, just because they know that you're a vet. That's something I think that contributes to burnout too. It's like, you almost feel like you're always on call, but I always will say there's a hundred other things I'd love to talk about more than veterinary medicine when it comes to having a social relationship, run marathons, I play sports, I dabble on the piano and the harmonica. You know, there's endless things that I think define me as a person more than being a veterinarian. I know that we bonded over our you know wives and our kids and everything too. And I'd much rather tell you about what my three kids are doing than what I saw at work yesterday. So I think it's just for the outsider, you know, realizing that veterinarians are people as well who have hobbies that don't necessarily involve a four-legged creature or a winged creature, whatever that might be, and just kind of giving some space and asking us those questions about personal life as opposed to necessarily work life. Yeah. You talked about the text messages or calls or social media messages. I got a LinkedIn message from someone that I was really good friends with growing up that we kind of like grew apart, obviously with life and I moved and went different places. But he was asking me, he's like, hey, you work with vets. Is this ACL quote I got for a dog good or bad? <laughs> I was like, dang, man, how like, I'm not even a veterinarian. And I get some questions like that at times, which is, which is, oh, it happens I can to, only I, I imagine. It happens to everybody in the profession. <laughs> I could, I, yeah, I could, I can not even, yeah, imagine. What's something I haven't asked about yet that is on your heart or mind that you think is really relevant just to speak to veterinary professionals across the country? And it can be in regards to what we've chatted on, or it can be completely different. Yeah. Nothing in particular, I would say, Isaiah. I think it just, I think what everybody wants to get out of this profession is a little bit different. Me personally, I've been practicing for, you know, nine, almost 10 years now. I'm really, you start to think about what do you want to get out of this profession? What do you want your legacy to be? I think for me, I obviously love the profession. I love what I do, but I think that my legacy, I want it to be really known as a veterinarian who helped other veterinarians realize their true potential, you know, for <laughs> hitting on the business name again. But there's so much, so many good people in this profession and watching the suicide rates, the burnout rates, all of that climb every single year, we're not doing anything to make this profession better. And when I decide to be done working and retired, I want to be known as somebody who had the veterinarian in mind and provided a pathway to not only improve their lives as veterinarians, but continue to grow as people. And if I can do that for one or two people, that's amazing. But if I can be somebody who actually helps with the solution to the problems that our industry is facing, that's what I want to be known for. That's why I've decided to kind of pursue this arm of this new business. And 
I'm excited to see how it goes, but that's what I want my legacy to be in, in the field. Yeah, I appreciate that. I always let any guest that joins the show ask me a question as we close. I swipe this from another podcast, but is there any question? It can be something that's serious. It could be completely off the wall. Any question that you want to ask me? You have one of the most well-manicured beards I've ever seen in my entire life. What's the daily routine look like caring for that masterpiece? Yeah. So I think you've caught me. So before VMX, I went into the barber and I went last week. So like there's times where it doesn't look quite as maintained if you see pictures or videos. So it's not always perfect. But A, the big thing is I let someone else do a lot of the care as far as the cutting. And then it's just uh, putting in oil or a brushing. But my wife jokes that she's like, you take a lot more time to uh, work on your appearance now that you have a beard than when you were shaving. Because part of the reason why I wanted to grow it out, I was like, I hate shaving every day. She's like, you do way more now. <laughs> because of that. But no, I would say the most recent thing that I've gotten interested in, and I want to have guests on this as well, is thinking on like the kind of the personal side and the health side, right? But putting in tallow, which is basically beef fat, that is actually what is in my beard right now. So it helps keep it styled. So trying to find small little businesses out there that utilize, I think, more natural stuff to put on your skin because your skin's the biggest organ. So how do you treat yourself well? So yeah, for those that are interested in dermatology and, and get that, that's kind of my thought. So yeah, I've never been asked that question. It's rare that I meet someone like, dang, they have, there's a guy that I know that I met at BMX and he always gives me a facial hair envy when I see him because it, it always looks great the way he does it. Yeah. So I'm like, man, but well, I'll, I'll yeah. always have facial hair envy because I will never be able to grow a full beard. You know, I get it really good here and here, but it's got to wait longer. So He's got to go <laughs> through the, the growth stage. Um, yeah. <laughs> the reason I grew mine talking about family was when we went up to in-laws up near Chicago, actually. So kind of up your way, but still on the Indiana side forgot my razor and was like, Hey, when we find out what we're having, so if we have a boy, I'm going to keep growing it out. And that happened in January, 2019. So I've had it since. And I was just joking with my son on the way to his little soccer practice thing the other day, like, cause he was telling me they saw a picture of mommy and daddy before I had a beard when we got married. Cause I didn't have a beard when we got married. And he said that it looked really different. And I asked him if I cut it, would he recognize me? He's like, Oh, I would. So, but he said I should keep it. So I'm like, Hey, that's uh there We're going to keep it yeah, for now, but it will get shaved at some point. Yeah, yeah it's all for the kids. Yeah. As, we, as we talked about, we bonded yeah. about our families and just the importance of that. So, 100%. I it, and man. I think that is always something yeah, I respect people so much when I'm able to meet with them. And they, that is something that they bring up or talk about because it's amazing having families, having spouses, having people that you care about and love. And those are important people. And it always yeah. hurts a little bit when I hear people talk about like, I don't know, somewhere on the elevator here at the space we work out of talking about, I don't have my kids this weekend and like celebrating. I was like, damn, that sucks. I'd be more disappointed than happy about that. But again, you don't know the relationship. Maybe it was just something that's happened, but it's like, you're blessed with this gift. You should definitely enjoy it because it will uh, not be there forever. So yeah, my wife has been my biggest supporter in this new venture that I'm launching too. And just having that backing from your home team is just, uh, just wonderful, which I'm sure you've experienced as well too, doing what you're doing. I have a good friend that he's like, yeah, my wife supports me too much. I don't know if she's smart because she gives me way too much credit. He's like, I'm trying to figure things out. She's always like, you got it. And he's like, I love that. But also like, you're really, really supporting me. Like what if, what if I, you know, don't, it's like, Hey, I'm here for you. So yeah. Supportive spouses, supportive loved ones. Liz Barton, who I had on the podcast, Dr. Barton talked about having that network of people that you can lean on when times are hard and going back to burnout and these other things. It's like, if you have that person you can go to, or this people or this, network that can support you. It doesn't always have to be your spouse if you're not married or that's not something that you want to do. 
find those people, right? But it is great when it is the person that you also uh, get to spend a lot of time with and, and love on. So yeah, absolutely. really, really appreciate that. So last question is connecting with you. What's the best way? Learning more about TrueVet potential. Where do you want to send people? How do they take a, a step from here? My website is fully up now with a lot more information. Website is truevetpotential.com. We're also going to be getting our social medias going and everything too. We have monthly blog entries and articles that I'll be writing that'll talk a little bit more about what the true vet potential is, as well as just providing some snippets of information on some of my thoughts. And so definitely visit on the website, connect with me on LinkedIn. I think that is a, an excellent tool for developing these professional relationships and personal relationships as well. So please feel free to do both. And I, we do have a, an online booking tool for setting up phone calls, introductory and follow-up phone calls as well, which can all be found on, on my website. So definitely hit us up and I'd love to talk more about how we can uh, help you reach your true vet potential. Love it. I'll link to everything in the show notes and people can uh, absolutely explore all the, the options to get in touch with you. But yeah, really, really appreciate the time. Love the mission and uh, excited to see what it turns into. Yeah, thanks, Isaiah. It's been a pleasure uh, being on your show and uh, looking forward to seeing future episodes of what you're doing as well. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. So there are a lot of great job postings that I want to get to. And so we're going to start off with Bayside Hospital for Animals. Great work-life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. No weekends, Monday to Friday, eight to five, no on-call or emergencies. It's an appointment only here. Currently a two and a half doctor practice, new owner in 2021, bringing some fresh life into the hospital. The new owner had been there for six years prior working, so definitely understands the team, the processes in the community. Lots of investment in people and new equipment. ProSal is the pay structure. Far too many benefits for me to list. Email BaysideVet251 at Yahoo or call 850-864-1857. Join a thriving, growing, small animal practice in Vermont on the Quebec border. Full-time ideal, part-time is considered. The idea is to start with yes with the team, patients and clients in outdoor woman's paradise while uh, being able to practice high-quality medicine. Compensation is write your own structure within production capabilities. Literally, it is the owner wants to t find the right person and is happy to negotiate, chat through and find the right fit. If you want autonomy and a boss that enjoys teaching, reach out to Newport Veterinary Hospital. You can email newportveterinaryhospital at gmail.com. North Central Indiana, looking for an oasis in the chaos. Who isn't, right? Come join the amazing team at Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. They strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care. They utilize the support staff efficiently so that the doctor is available to practice medicine and do what you're trained to do in less time and paperwork, which is great. Lots of investment in new equipment and technology to support you, full-time or part-time available. Small animal and exotics are both seen there, so no ER, no on-call, no weekends, competitive salary with sign-on bonus offered, and far too many benefits to list. Go to Fulton County Veterinary Clinic, so type that in and you'll find the job posting there. Last but not least, join Watertown Animal Hospital, personable, small animal veterinarian wanted for well-established current five-doctor mixed animal practice in northern New York, which is an outdoors person's paradise. Again, two of those. So if you like the outdoors, you can look at Vermont or New York. They have plenty of support staff with six CSRs, six licensed technicians, four animal caretakers, two technical assistants, hospital associate, or sorry, hospital assistant, 
a practice manager and a bookkeeper. Focuses on mentorship and investment on the people and the technology. That's been a strategic initiative by the leadership team. No on call, a 24-hour ER less than an hour away. Salary based on experience, but no less than 95000 Can be straight salary, pro-sal considered. Want to discuss that with the right person. Tons of benefits. Again, too much to list. Please reach out to watertownpetcare.com for that option as well. So again, if you find a role or a job or talk to anyone and it helps you in any way, I would love to hear that feedback. So please reach out. Let me know what you're able to do. And I will continue to post these. So if you are an owner, reach out to me, let me know. And we'll go from there. And until I hit a capacity of I can't keep recording these, I want to let people know who are high quality owners around the country looking for great help. So with that, we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. If you want or need financial advice, my day job on Not Podcasting is helping veterinarians grow their net worth. Our team is taking new clients and we are ready to talk to you at any stage of life. Come as you are. I always say bring the mess, right? Like if things are unorganized, that's okay. There's no prerequisites to become a client. Isaiah Douglas is a partner at Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor registered with the SEC. The biggest compliment you can give me in the podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found and Apple Podcast is the platform that is predominantly used for people listening to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. It helps more people find the show. Also, the new YouTube channel is up and I'd love to have you subscribe. Vainly, I want 100 subscribers at least. Lots more, obviously, right? But I get a vanity URL if we get to 100. That would be great. It makes it easier to find the YouTube channel as well. For all of today's links information, head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. It'll be a link to that YouTube channel I just talked about. You won't miss any other episodes, whether you list on Spotify, whether you have some other ancillary podcast platform please like, subscribe, all that stuff. It certainly does help. I appreciate it. Finally, if you want more information, insights, want your voice to be heard, want to share ideas for content, say, hey, Isaiah, I want you to have this guest. I want you to talk about this topic. Go over to the Facebook group. So you can search for the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll to the bottom about your host, click on the Facebook icon, and that'll get you in the group. But thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me to be able to see the podcast grow and continue to impact people. So with that, until next time, we'll chat soon.